Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hello, welcome back everybody to The Daily Sales Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. I'm your host, Leslie Douglas. And today we are going to talk about how to connect with decision makers. So let us know in the chat where you're tuning in from. Um, Make sure that you change it to everyone. Let us know where you're calling in from. Ian is here with me today in Cognac, and it is such a treat. If you don't know him, he helps enterprise reps with their own sales now because he was like the number one strategic account executive at Salesforce for years and uh, consistently hit quota over and over and over again. Um, so Ian, welcome. So glad to have you. Great to see you again, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always. And before we jump in, just want to remind you, if you're looking to level up this year, we're here to help. We have a daily sales show, instant access to training, free resources. Check us out at sellbetter.xyz, or you can scan that QR code there that's up on the screen. And as always, have to give a shout out to our fabulous sponsors, Outplay is a sales engagement and automation tool. If you haven't used it, it helps you find the right prospects, um, engage with them across multi-channels, which we're going to talk about today. Personalized communication integrates with like everything you possibly have tool-wise, and it's just like a really cool sales tool. And also the wonderful Owler gives um, really powerful sales triggers. We use it. I use it here for alerts for my top prospects and customers. You can also get contact data and account level insights. We have a link that we will drop in the chat over here um, for the new. It's an overview of the new Owler Max. If you have used Owler in the past or have never used it, uh, you got to check out the new Owler Max. There's a a quick link there for you. But let's talk about today's agenda. Ian and I are going to talk about techniques to cut through the noise how to get to those decision makers, some different strategies to pull them in, when to pull them in, and just how to keep them engaged throughout the entire sales process. If you don't mind, we're going to launch a poll really quick so we know who's in the room. Make sure that we can uh, tailor this entire conversation to you. Let us know who's here and who's calling in. So as that's running, I want to quickly just say, um, Ian, the very first thing that you said to me when we started talking about this topic, um, like I said, hey, what techniques, what do you use to cut through the noise? Very first thing you said to me, show me, you know me. Tell me a little bit more. Show me, you know me. I mean, simply put, there's a lot of noise that I'm a CEO of my own company and I can't tell you how many emails I get. Most don't make it to me. Most go to the spam filter. But when you make it through, um, the vast majority, nine out of 10, maybe maybe 19 out of 20, are on a sequence. And they're written as though they're written to anyone. And yes, they're directed at coaches or business owners or CEOs, but that's about the extent of the personalization. There's nothing about my company. Half of them want to know about my company goals and priorities. I'm very public about what I'm doing. I post every day. Um, And it's very clear that this was written to uh, many people in cut and paste or part of a sequence. So when I say, show me, you know me, the ones that stand out that I actually look at open and often respond to are emails that say, hey, I know this about your company. I see you're trying to do X, Y, and Z. 
And here's how we can help you based on what you're trying to do. We'd love to chat if you're open to it or if this is something you're interested in learning more about. So it's that simple. Show, show, show them you've done your homework. Show them you know something about their company and not just you know what industry they are, how big they are, but like specifically that you know what they do and really that you have some type of link to your services based on what you learn. That's the key. I call the concept linkage, like make a link between what you do and what you learned about then. That could be at the individual level or at the account level or at the industry level if you can't find anything online. So that's really, again, it could be show me you know me based on my role and what challenges I'm typically facing as a business owner and what you've seen from other similar people that are lookalikes to me. So there's really different levels, but the the real stuff that stands out is the stuff that hey, I looked at your company, I see what you're doing, and I can help in these ways. So that, that's what that means. I really like, um, you know, it's a lot of people will go, and I've been victim to this as a salesperson myself, or I'll go like pull something and I feel like I'm making this connection. I really like you talk about um, uh, kind of that design thinking, silent shopping or subscribing and being their customer. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about like how you use your insights when you go in further to um, find out more about their business to make a connection? Well, if you if you sell to a company, it depends on what you sell, to be candid. But uh, I worked for a company called Salesforce, and everyone knows Salesforce at CRM. So, you know, you're, you're talking about the sales organization or the service organization or someone in the front lines that is using your product most of the time. Well, just because they're not using Salesforce doesn't mean that you can't understand what they're doing or how they're doing it. So for when I was at Salesforce, some of the things I did, I'll give you two quick examples. One of the things is when I um, I always became a customer. So I managed an account called um, Experian. And Experian, everyone knows, has the, the credit bureau. So I signed up for one of their programs called Experian Boost to help boost your credit. Not because I had bad credit, but because I wanted to go through the experience and see what happened to link it. Well, Immediately when I signed up, there was a problem. So I went and called the call center and I was hung up on three times. I was actually passed around with robotic service. I brought all of that to their head of customer experience. And I got a meeting with 14 VPs to talk about how to improve the customer experience. I said, here was my experience. I am a customer and here's some of the things you could be doing differently. So that's an example of what I call a silent shopper. And yes, okay. you want to do this if you're dealing with bigger accounts, right? Obviously, if you're an enterprise, you're not going to have 100, 200 accounts. I want to give you a disclaimer. I was an enterprise account executive, so I didn't have that many. So I had the opportunity to go really deep. But even if you have a bigger list, you still want to pick your top tier 5, 10, 15 accounts and go deep with them so you can build that point of view. That's one example. Another example was Jacuzzi. So Jacuzzi was a B2B2C company. In other words, they sold through dealers. So they didn't sell direct online, um, but they sold through dealers. So I actually went into one of the dealers for the spa and he was recommending a competitor instead of Jacuzzi. And I started interviewing the, the clerk at the at the, um, the showroom and I said, well, can you show me this Jacuzzi in different colors and different sizes? And can you show me what this could look like? Because there was only a couple of models and they couldn't. The, the dealer mm. didn't tools. And that happened to be something we were selling, a digital um, showroom tool for you know dealers. And so I took that information, brought it to headquarters and said, hey, this is why your dealers aren't actually recommending because this other competitor is easier to do business with. They have more tools and they have more incentives for dealers. So th these type of insights that you can bring 
to executives from the point of view of the customer are extremely valuable. And if you sell marketing, you could sign up for a marketing newsletter. You can go through web forms. If you sell anything with service, you can go through the call center experience. If you sell things for sales, you can actually you know, raise your hand and see how quickly they respond and what that sales experience is like. So it really requires doing the work. And I'm sorry, but we are living in a culture where many people are trying to take the shortcut and they think this automation and these sequences and all this is going to make it um, easier to book meetings. And it's the exact opposite. What happens is you just blend in with every everybody else. If you really want to stand out and show me you know me, you need to do the real work of understanding their business and seeing how and where you can help them. And when you do that, you can book meetings with CEOs, COOs, CFOs. I've done it in every account I've ever managed through that approach and it works, but it takes time and it is real work to have to do. And yeah, you're going to have to you know, go deep. It's not just activity and volume. It's actually really strategy and using your brain. And it is harder than creating a sequence. So um, I'll tell you how I really feel about that. But that's all <laughs> That's all I see right now, Leslie, is just a lot of automation. And that's not, you know, it's not going to work today in today's time at all. I think too, like, if you can't, if you can't be the customer, be the buyer, because there are like some limitations depending on what you sell, talking to maybe like other people in the organization that report up to them have you had an experience there too like totally totally so that's the common thing like that's uh, more often especially if they're you are have, having big accounts because I, I coach hundreds of reps and the, i see people with huge territories where like i don't have time to do all that research it sounds but you do just do it for the few accounts but for a lot of the other accounts you know you might have a lead coming in or you might have bdr setting meetings or whatever and it, it's lower level right it's, it could be managers could be users the key is to get the insights and confirm whether or not the problem, you're not trying to sell at this level. You're just trying to understand if the problem exists. You're trying to understand the impact of the problem. You're trying to understand how they do things today. And then you can use that information to surface up and teach them, hey, I talked to X, Y, and Z. Here's how you're doing it. Here's how much time it's taking. And here's how we can help you and free up that time for more impactful value-added activities. So that's another way to do it is taking everything you learn kind of at that lower level and as early as possible in the sales cycle, taking that to power. So you're not going to spend these long cycles and then it goes nowhere because you're not at the right level. Let's, I want to bring up this um, slide from Challenger Sale. It's what you're talking about, right? Where it's being able to teach them something new. I know, do you mind telling us a story really quick? I, uh, I feel like you were able to teach a prospect of yours um, and you challenge their leadership team with something. Is this uh, the biggest deal you ever sold, right? Yeah, this this was. And I, I see some comments, which I'm going to jump on. And Oh, yeah, we'll get it. We'll get it there. Brett's in one second. Automation, I'm not against to. I'm against the easy automation. If you have high quality, nurturing, educational sequences, all for it. But most yeah. of the time, what I see is is not show me, you know me. So um, the, the whole concept of that challenge. Can you show that slide one more yeah, time? Yeah, definitely. So if you look at the slide, um, this is the idea of changing a customer's purchase path. So a lot of times when people reach out, they've already done their homework. They already have a pretty good idea of what they want. And you know they're doing their own research. And at that point, you're in competitive situations. They're talking to a few different vendors or looking at tools, and you're trying to show why you're the best and why you know why you're different. And at that point, it's a it's a it's an uphill battle, right? Because a lot of times they already kind of made up their mind and they're just shopping just to make sure they're getting a good rate on whatever it is. Now, if you want to change the purchase path and actually put somebody in the market, 
Um, you actually have to teach them something that they didn't already know about their business needs and challenges. So going in and actually saying, here's how you're doing things today, and here's specifically why it's not the best approach, and here's how you can do it better, actually, and then the second part of that was giving them a compelling reason to take action. In other words, saying, if you don't change this, here are some of the consequences, here's the cost of inaction. That's how you put people in the market before they ever raised their hand and said, I need something to solve this problem. In other words, if you make people aware of a problem that they didn't know they had or they didn't know there was a better way, you are first in and you are the one who's actually driving the sales cycle. And at that point, typically it's not competitive. Typically, you know, it's a partnership. They don't, no one wants to shop and go through RFPs and spend all that time. They want to solve business problems and get business outcomes achieved. So, you know, that's what I mean by that slide. And one thing I did with um, my largest deal, it was an eight-figure deal. Uh, I can name the account because it's a public story. It was it was Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And I, I share this quite a bit because it's such a powerful story, but they were buying in a way that was very siloed and their purchasing department was doing these RFPs. And they came to they came to Salesforce. This was back in 2017. It was the year I finished number one um, in the enterprise. And they they came to Salesforce and basically said, we want an app for the real estate agents to um, manage and track awards. Now, anyone who knows real estate, you know that it's a very competitive industry. There's you know, you probably get the magazines and you see, oh, I'm the top person in my office, number one at Remax or whatever. So there has to be a database tracking all of those sales statistics, buying and selling of homes to be able to say, I sold 200 million in real estate, like all those real estate shows, right? So we're talking about a very important application. And what they wanted from us was a database to be able to track sales and then deliver these awards. What we said is, if you do it this way, you are setting up yourself up for failure because you'll be reporting the news. If you really want to drive people to perform better, don't report the news after. Show them how they're progressing. Show them how close they are to achieving. Give them a leaderboard. Give them notifications. Give them an app. We can do all of this. We were six times the price of anyone in the RFP. And the purchasing came to me and they said, I'm sorry, this isn't our requirements. We don't want to do it this way, so we're not going to use you. Well, I took this to the CEO, or he was the COO at the time. He actually became the CEO afterwards. And I said, you're doing it all wrong. Here's what you're setting yourself up for. Here's how your purchasing is doing it. And he said, Ian, we need to meet. I'm like, great. I come in. He's like, Ian, this awards thing is indicative of our broader approach to application and technology purchasing. We buy things in a reactive state based on what we need when things break. We are 60 projects in tow right now. Only three have been delivered on time and under budget. The others keep getting delayed, delayed because we can't make up our mind. We're not doing things right. We have to go back. Our IT team is completely overwhelmed. We can't actually innovate fast enough. And now we're losing our agents and we're losing customers to these competitors, Compass, Zillow, Redfin, some of these B2C competitors. I'm like, okay. And so that changed the conversation. He said, I want you to hold up. I will stop this purchase from happening. We need to look at our entire application stack. We need to look at our whole strategy. And I brought in my team and we did a full design thinking workshop. 
brought in their entire C-suite. There was 20 executives, their VPs, senior directors, everybody from HR to marketing looked at their business inside out and then proposed the entire platform as an engine for innovation and transformation, digital transformation to be able to compete in a changing market. So that's an example of, okay, the way you're doing it right now, is it working? Here's why you need to take action because your competitors are here. And the CEO, God bless him, he stopped everything. He had us come in. Well, he didn't have us come in, but he had his team come in for a town hall and we helped him with that presentation to deliver a town hall meeting to get his executive team on board to say, here's why we need to stop what we're doing and we need a platform versus point solutions. And we need to actually outsource our tech versus building everything ourselves. So he actually used that as an impetus to get his executives on board. And then we got them all together later for a design thinking workshop. It ended up being an eight-figure deal and they bought everything we had. So that's, that's again, why less is more, right? Less accounts, more focus, more multi-threading. That's how you make you know, 500,000 to a million selling software. It's not through high volume. It's actually through lower volume, but high quality to the right accounts that are really looking to transform. And I think like that executive involvement, right? Like we, we're talking about showing them and teaching them something new and having this conversation. It's having the right people who are open to that mindset. Um, so there's a, a little bit of buzz in the chat over here about the, um, automation approach. And I want to touch on that really quick and ask you, so as a business owner, what's the last email that stood out to you that you actually replied to? Tell us or tell us yeah, the story. And, and again, I, as I'm, I'm all for AI automation, I'm using it in my own business. I'm, I'm a big advocate. What I don't want is crap being sent, right? I don't want anything on my name that I wouldn't send. So take yeah. the time to make it your messaging and you can track it and use it, but it's got to be good quality. It's got to teach people. We're going to talk about this in a minute, so I won't spoil our thunder. But the, the last email that I um, I opened, actually there was two. So one of them, interestingly, was someone teaching me something I didn't know, right? It was, it was University of Chicago. And they said, hey, Ian, we have an intern pro- program for startups and a lot of startups are struggling to, you know, to 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 keep up with the demand of work. We pay for interns to come in. Um, here's the type of profiles you want. We actually have a scholarship program where we can get people from high school going in. Would you want to intern? I'm like, awesome. So I called my head of sales. I said, could you use an intern right now? He's like, yeah, um, that'd be great. So I started talking to him. And it's funny how this works out, right? It's just, I don't know what's going on. But um I, I, I said, I need a sales intern. And then he sent me all this stuff like, okay, they do social media design, TikTok, all this stuff. But I didn't see LinkedIn. I didn't see outbound sales. So I wrote back to this this company. I said, if you do these things, we'll take the intern. Well, yesterday, m- one of my great friends, son approached me and he says, hey, are you looking for an intern? I just finished you know, school and I want a summer job. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I called his dad. I said, <laughs> is your son good? And what does he do? He's like, oh, my son's the best. He cold calls, he does all these things. And now we're going to hire him. So it didn't end up going with the company, but it got me thinking about a need that I didn't even know I had. That's a perfect example. The other one was just a video and it was on my website. And the guy went through and showed me some things about my website that could be approved and shared how they do it. But what stood out is he talked about creating 30 to 50 calls on my calendar every single month as a guarantee. Right. And that's an outcome that I actually right now want because we're filling up our coaching program. So the timing was good. He showed me, he knowed me. 
And then I asked him for some more details. He didn't send it. And then he lost the sale because he didn't go and follow up. But I did respond right away. And it was because it was a video. It was a little yeah. video. It was my website. It was my face. And what he said was relevant to what we were trying to do in our business right now. So those are two examples from this week that actually, you know, were, were, were things I opened as opposed to the hundred others that I got that I didn't even touch. I think that's something that can apply across any industry. Anyone who's on the call selling is um, making a video going through your prospect's website or showing them something about themselves. Like it's taking them out of the experience. That's what caught your attention. The outcomes is what kept you there to respond, right? Exactly. Something I think we could all do. Um, no, that's that's exactly right. It's the outcomes. It's here's what here are the outcomes we deliver for business owners, and those outcomes are relevant. Specifically, you can say I'm going to guarantee you X percent of revenue growth per year. Yeah. You can say that, right? But to say 30 calls to 50 calls every month for my business—that was something actually that my, me and Tanvir, my head of sales, are actively working to get. You know, a certain number of calls on the on the book. So right. it's you know, it's yeah, it's it's all about the outcomes that they want at the time. Now, timing's a big thing too, right? Timing is a lot of this. That's why you know, if you get someone with the right message at the right time. Um, you know, you know, they they very much I'm gonna say, wow, it's funny you reached out. I was just thinking about this thing, right? So that with with um Iman, who the intern that I that I told you about, his timing was perfect because I was about to go, I was talking to University of Chicago about these interns, and he came in like, how does that even work? But something in the air, right? He he had a sense and he texted me and sure enough, now he's gonna work for me. So it's it. It is it is really a combination of messaging, personalization, relevance, and timing that's going to make you get the meeting. Give me your quick hot take on channels right now, multi-channel approach. You can't hide behind email. I see it all the time. People are just doing emails as their approach, and you know it just doesn't work. It, it's it's amazing how effective the phone still is. And yeah. with tools like Zoom Info and there's other, there's seam, seamless and there's other ways to get um, cell phones. And I, I've kind of done some cross-referencing as I've been you know, learning a lot of the AI tools and the data's scarily accurate in terms of like looking at my friends and looking at other business owners. It's all their cell phones and it's all in there. So I get it. It's a little scary to pick up the phone, but my approach to multi-channel is this. For every email you send, for at least the first three, pick up the phone, call them, and tell them, I sent you an email this morning with mm -hmm. you know, X, Y, and Z. Did you have a chance to look at it? And now it's a warm call in the sense that you're specifically talking about something relevant. As long as your email is good and specific to them, you could talk about, here's what I learned about you. Here's what I sent you. Did you have a chance to read it? No. Okay. I'll be real quick. You know, here's what I think we can do and here's how I can help. Would you be open to meeting? Does that make sense? That's way easier than going down a list, right? And just saying the same thing because you're just pull up the email, you have it there and you're just referencing the research or referencing, you know, what you were going to say in the email anyway. So it's it's warmer because they've already gotten one touch. So I don't do the cold call before the email. I do the email first and typically in the afternoon, I'll, I'll call them. And, you know, does everyone pick up? No, of course not. It's not going to be the highest percentage, but- every touch point you know what 
it's actually effective. And, and, and I did this with a company called St. Joseph Hospital. When I was at Salesforce, it took 15 touches to get mm -hmm. the CIO. Once he did, we got a deal the same fiscal year, seven figures and took out Microsoft. So that persistence is what works, but it's got to be a persistence outside of just email. So for me, there's a three-pronged approach I use, actually a four-pronged. So email is one of them, phone by far. At least the first three, I want three phone calls. So that's six touch points. I'll send a LinkedIn connection. If they you know, accept the connection, I'll typically say, thanks for connecting. Not sure if you got my phone call and email, but love to chat with you about X, Y, and Z if you're open to it, right? And then finally, I'll do a video. If it's someone in the A account, that's actually a large account, I'll do a video in my face or I'll screen share like you said, saying, hey, here's how we can help. Here's what I saw. I mean, they, they at that point, they know who you are. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, you can't do this with that many people because if you multiply those 10 touch points times, let's say five people in account, that's 50 for one account times 20 accounts, that's a thousand. No one has right. that much time in their day. Right. Do this approach with senior executives. That's the key. It's not about how many people you go after. It's going after the right people. So if I seen your face on video, if I've gotten phone calls from you, and if I've gotten emails and they're relevant, I'm going to take a meeting out of sheer persistence. As long as your message is good and it's relevant and you know, you, assuming you have something I can use or benefit from, um, I'm going to respond. Most yeah. people give up at one to three. Most people oh. stop at one to three touch points and most people never pick up the phone. How do I know this? Because again, I coach people. I talk to them and they open up. I'm kind of a sales therapist and they tell me I'm scared of the phone or I don't want to do video. I'm uncomfortable. That's how you stand out, yeah. right? Stand out to get in. Remember those words, stand out to get in. And the second thing is show me you know me. Simple as that. Nothing. If you don't take away anything else from that, just write those two two down. You have to stand out, and you stand out by contact them across multiple channels. I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk about when we're involving decision makers and like in our outreach strategy. But really quick poll for the group here. Um, let's see. How early are you getting? executives involved if that's part of your role i know we have a few roles in the room but is this the first person you're calling are you getting them once you're having a discovery call are you getting them when it's a demo or are you waiting till negotiation um while that's filtering in results here ian i want to bring up something else that you've said to me a couple times um and i think it's worth sharing Getting to power is a mindset problem. Talk to me about this. Well, it's it's the old imposter syndrome. It's it's feeling like we're not worthy. Mm. Uh, I went on a podcast, one of my first podcasts that I went on, it was like three or four years ago. It was called the Lowly SDR Podcast. That's what they named it, the Lowly SDR Podcast. Holy it, moly. Could be, it could be the Lowly AE Pod. It's like right. this. Uh, this idea that we're not worthy because we're a salesperson and we're in sales and we're bugging people. We're not an executive. So what are we doing talking to an executive? Everyone faces it. Everybody, even if you've been selling for 20 years, even if you know your product or service, you know, really well, there's this kind of insecurity around, you know, what do I have to bring to the table? Why would this person um, talk to me? So when I say, um, you know, when I say it's a mindset problem, it, it's it's two things. It's number one, it's not knowing your own worth. And, and I'll address this and just tell you, your worth is not knowing their business inside and out. Your worth is knowing about the problem you solve and understanding how and if their business is facing that problem and sharing that with them. You don't need to know everything about their business. You just need to know the problems you can solve 
yeah. for similar businesses and confirm that they have those problems. So that's something, again, that you don't need to be an expert on everything in their business. You need to be an expert on how you can help their business. So that's the first thing is just knowing your worth and knowing and accepting you don't have to be the CEO to talk to a CEO, right? You just need to be, again, teaching them something new. The second thing is, you know, is depicted on this slide that we that we share right now is is this idea that when we you know meet with executives, sometimes we go in looking up to them. And if you're looking up to people, you you can't have an eye to eye conversation, and they're going to be looking down to you. And and honestly, like the most comfortable I am, um, John Barris is a perfect example, right? He's just a just a guy. He's nice. You're you're just a normal person when you just accept people and look at people as humans versus looking at them as titles or roles or income levels or status levels. Like we're all the same here on this earth. We're all people. That's not, that doesn't matter your title or your income or whatever. And that's like a totally a mindset thing, right? It's like these, I mean, I'm a CEO. Okay. I'm also a husband, a father, a friend. It's, you know, we're all trying to do our best in this world. We're all trying to well, we all woke, wake up with the same insecurities, the same fears, the same doubts, the same mental health challenges. I mean, nobody here, shit doesn't stink. And, and, and it's just this idea that we're just human. Just talk to them. Don't worry so much. Yes, you need to be prepared if you're speaking with executives, but prepare on how you can help them, prepare about learning their business, prepare your point of view, but don't stress about them being an executive. Honestly, the executives that I work with are some of the nicest, most down-to-earth chill people, right? Because everyone's looking up to them and kissing their butt. If you just talk to them normal, it's like refreshing. Like, Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Exactly. Human. Exactly. So that's what I mean when I say it's a mindset issue is people are afraid and they think they're going to be talking to some Wolf of Wall Street character right, right. or some like, I think of like Wall Street, Michael Douglas's character, all the <laughs> Gordon Geckers. That's not what executives are like. Executives are way more like me and John than they are, yeah. you know, what you might think of as a staunch CEO or something. That's that's right. a very old school way of thinking about it. Now, you know, it's there. People are people, and just treat them like people. That that's my approach. I want to share the results we got. It looks like people are prospecting into executives as their first target. So, like the get pushed down, or like that's your person, that's your target. Um, Ian, talk to me about for you. Uh, what that looks like. Are you, that's your first point of contact too? What's your- Well, I'd say my first point of contact is the research I'm doing and potentially contacting, like I said, to do that silent shop or talk to their people and confirm the problem exists. But yeah, my my approach is get to power as early as possible. And if you've already talked to someone else, again, use that as a reason to get to power. So I'm I'm of the mindset where you got to go directly, but when you are going directly again make the message count make it relevant make it personal and you know it, 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 and do it multiple times that's that's the biggest area people lose on is they stop right they just stop it after one or two emails they're not picking up the phone i mean i know it sounds overly simplified but that's what it takes it takes just persistence and 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 having a good message so i think get there as early as possible all the seven figures I de- deals I did at Salesforce, every single one of them did it in the same fiscal year. So this whole idea that you know you need two, three, four years to close an enterprise deal is bunk. If you're working with power and power has a priority for that year or they have immediate goals, they don't have four years to prove themselves. Right. They need to get results now. So the key is when you do get to power, you're aligning to their top priorities, their goals, their outcomes, and you're referencing how you can help them achieve their goals. 
if you want to help yourself, if you want to achieve your goals, the number one thing you need to do is find out what other people's goals are and help them achieve their goals, right? So that's the difference in kind of the the approach that um, that I take with a lot of my clients is like, well, I'm here to help you achieve your goals. Let's talk about those. What are your top priorities right now? And I usually will will preface up at saying, I, I researched you, I learned this, but I've never met with you. So I don't want to make any assumptions. Tell me what you're responsible for. You're in your role. What's in top of mind for you? But by you making that disclaimer up front and showing them that you know them and giving them a point of view up front, they're going to be way more receptive to sharing what's really important. And I've had so many executives tell me, yeah, this is great over here, but that's actually not what I'm focused on. I have some more immediate priorities than these things that corporate's saying publicly. So that's that's really how I how I go early as possible, get to power. Because when you get to power early, it compresses the deal cycle. They can bring in all their other stakeholders. They can get you all the information. They can sponsor it. And everything moves just so much faster when you do it that way. Okay. So you say sponsor. I think everyone has different thoughts, feelings, ideas around this idea of executive sponsorship. Do you have a definition? Like what are the top things that have to be there for them to sponsor? Do you ask them to be the executive sponsor? What's your take? Um, I, I typically, when I get the meeting in assuming that, you know, they're not going to meet with you if there's not something going on, your right. job is to find that out. Right? Not just, just hanging out. Yeah, we're not just hanging out. I know you're too busy. And I'll say that. I know you're super busy. Why'd you take the meeting? That's the first thing I'll say to them when they when we start. And it's like, they love it, right? Because it gives them a chance. Again, it's all about them. It's not about me. It's all about you. It's all about you, Leslie. So going in and, and thinking about um, you know, executives and, and the approach, if if the meeting goes well and they tell you what they need and what you want, there's this idea of decision fatigue. I don't know if you can flash that slide if we have it. Yeah. Decision fatigue is um, when when executives are overly involved in the deal, when they feel like it's going to take too much of their time, win rates actually go down because they abandon ship. They say, this is too big of a commitment. It's too much of a distraction. I don't want any part of it, right? I just can't do it now. This is not a priority. I got other immediate priorities. This is too much. And that happens a lot, especially if you're selling complex software. And so what I typically do is I'll go to these first meetings and I'll get their sponsorship. What that looks like is saying, I know you're busy right? And I know you got a lot going on, but if this is something that you think makes sense to proceed further, here's our process. We need to typically meet with these key players and here's why we need to meet with them. And this way it doesn't take up a lot of your time. We'll come back up to you and we'll share our findings. We'll share what you're doing today, how this could fit into your environment. And we'll share a business case and an ROI model based on your specific numbers and based on your specific business. Are you okay making those introductions or is there someone that you can connect me with you know, a peer or someone to help me facilitate some of those introductions. So I really, what I call this is selling the discovery process, really saving five or 10 minutes at the end of that meeting to walk through, here's what our process looks like. Here's what we need from you. And it's the idea that you don't have to do everything yourself, Mr. or Mrs. CEO. You can do, you know, whatever, you know, we'll do the work, we'll do the heavy lifting. We just need to actually meet with these people to get this information to validate how and where and how much we can help you. And then we'll come back up to you. So you get their agreement to come back up. And then the key is you keep them in the loop. You keep them in the loop. So when I sold St. Joe's, the guy, the guy, um, Bill Russell was a CIO. He had a VP of apps. The VP of apps was my day-to-day contact. And he was the one who actually was shepherding me around the organization. When I sold um, Berkshire Hath- Hathaway, 
a guy, Mike Fortes, he was the main guy, the VP of solutions. The CEO wasn't walking me through. They had a project team and then the VP of solutions. So there's always, you get the sponsorship from the high level and then you get somebody who's their right-hand person or one trusted person on their team to really kind of be the day-to-day contact, usually at the VP, maybe senior director level. And that's how the deal actually gets done because they can move faster because they're not so busy and their calendar's not blocked up for months in advance like most C-suite executives. So that's usually the process that I take is really kind of selling that discovery process and showing them how to buy right up front. And then it moves a lot faster. I think that's a pretty common challenge. And I think I did this a lot early in my career where I would go full blown discovery with an executive. They don't like that's that's not necessarily the goal. If you can say, I'm going to go do discovery within your organization and just get their top level pieces and pull that together. I think that's so important then you also have permission to just keep them involved, right? You're opening that door to say, I'm going to keep looping you in whenever it's <laughs> whenever it's time. And, and then I get their cell phone. I literally get their cell phone. Yeah. I say, I know you're traveling. We'll what, what's the best number to reach you? And I'll text them a thank you. And then now I'm on text yeah. them. And I can keep in the loop. And if I need a favor later on, or if things are stalling, I got their text. So it's it's really that simple. And it's not easy. But once you get to executives, things do move a lot quicker. And generally, um, it is a matter of like, they're not going to know all the information. If you go too deep with discovery and you start asking about systems and processes, you're going to get pushed down to the yeah. level that you sound like. So right. you really want to keep it centered around the goals, priorities, really high level. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm a huge believer in not wasting people's time. And so get to the point, understand it, tell them how you can help them, tell them what you need from them and then get connected. And I even write them an email and say, hey, can you send this to your team just so you have some context and they'll walk you through it. And that, again, that approach, it opens up multi-threading. You could learn all the different things that you need to about the organization. The deal sizes get way bigger. And you, you know, generally you get everyone involved early on that needs to be involved. So you don't have any you know, blind spots later on with detractors or people that, you know. so I'll ask yeah. them, where are the other key stakeholders on your team who we need to meet with, who need to be involved? And can you connect me? And when they connect it, when it's a COO connecting you or the CRO or something, man, those There's people take a meeting. more weight. Yeah, yeah, they'll meet, right? Because their boss is asking. So that's why, again, I, I call it a yo-yo sell. You start high, you go down, and then you go back up. Okay. So it's this yo-yo, and you keep them um, in the loop the whole time. So yeah. think of it as a yo-yo. They're kind of holding the strings, but you're working with their team, and it's almost like you work for them, right? You're in, yeah. the, you're in their hand, right? Uh, working on their behalf. And that's, again, how you become a trusted advisor in these accounts. Uh, I have one more thing before we hop over to the Q&A section. I saw some questions that we missed. If you want any of those answered, you can pop them into the Q&A and you can use the thumbs up to upvote questions that you want to make sure we get answered. But I want to hear one more perspective that we had talked about previously before we jump into that. This outward mindset versus inward mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, if I could say there's, these are all important tips. I mean, it's Again, these are things that, um, this one is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And go to my YouTube channel if, if you've never seen this. I put a video, just Google Ian Cognac inward to outward mindset, how I became number one A. And if I had to attribute it, like becoming, so to give a little context, I was a transactional AE for many years. I worked at Rico for 10 years. I was selling copiers and I ran sales teams and I had 70 people working for me. And it was this hustle, grind, transactional, quick close you know, very like sales tactics. I took that to Salesforce. It didn't work. I missed quota three years in a row, nearly left sales, nearly quit. Um, 
it was it was rough because I was taking this approach of like high activity, fast versus like going really, really deep. And the reason I was doing this is I had this kind of idea of like activity gives pipeline, gives results. And yes, of course you have to have meetings to get opportunities that lead to sales. That's a given. Of course you need to do activity, but it's not about volume of activity. It's about the right activity, especially if you sell a complex product or service that requires companies to change. So my focus was all about me, my activity, my pipeline, my quota. It was all about my goals. And that's what I call it inward focus. Every day I was thinking about me and my quota and my closing deals. The goal of sales is to close deals. That is not the goal of sales. Okay. That is not the goal of sales. That is an outcome. The goal of sales is to deliver a product or service that can help your customers achieve their goals. And if you think of sales that way, sales is a very admirable thing to do. But if you're making it all about you and your goals, you're missing the whole point of what sales is. So I had to realize that the way I was thinking about sales was completely selfish. And I was only focused on my own goals, my own income, my own paycheck, and not my customer success. So I completely took a, once I got humbled by missing quota three years in a row, I said, I got to change my approach. And I had to really look internally and say, what do I stand for? What do I care about? And I realized, you know what? Maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Maybe I wasn't coming at this from the right place. And that's when I started to do some deep personal development, deep work on myself. That's what I do right now with my clients. It's like, look really internally to find what you stand for. And what I, what I realized really quickly is that I was very selfish, very self-serving. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to care about myself and what my goals are. My goals are an outcome. What I'm going to focus on is helping my clients achieve their goals. I'm going to try to understand what their goals are. I'm going to understand what their challenges are. I'm going to understand what their team is saying. I'm going to understand. And I spent way more time on real quality, deep discovery. All that research I told you about, all that point of view going to their you know, stores. I wasn't doing that stuff before. I was just calling and pitching and calling and pitching. It was very like salesy type approach and it didn't work. But when I really took the time to understand my customers and just showed up from a place where I was not attached, I was detached from the outcome. And I'm like, I'm here to help. Let's talk. The energy that I exuded, the energy I put out and the way it was received was day and night different because it was about them. That's what I mean by an outward focus. It's really not being attached to the sale and really just being attached to helping and understanding and the sale being an outcome only if and when you know you can help. At that point, yeah, you can really go for it because you you know, you know you're doing the right thing for them. But until you know that you're a good fit, until you know that you can help them achieve their goals or solve their problems, which are causing pain, you have nothing to sell. And I took that approach and man, it changed everything. That's when I hit quota every year. That's when I was able to retire after four years. That's when I you know, got to number one, cracked seven figures, everything else. It was that simple shift of this is not about me, it's about them. And every day I show up in service of other people. And frankly, I've taken that same approach to my business and it's exploding because all I think about every day is how do I make my clients successful? And honestly, yeah. that's everything. And in doing so, yeah, the money comes. Yeah, the sales comes, the growth comes. So it really is about them. And that is a very nice, happy, fulfilling way to sell versus the pressure of I got to do this, I got to fill my quota, oh my God, I'm behind, which causes stress, anxiety, mental health, all the crap that I was dealing with, you know, back, you know, back in the day when I was living that that type of lifestyle. So hopefully that answers it. But that to me is yeah. the biggest shift. I'll drop in the chat because it's it's a great, yeah, it's a great video. So 
Um, we got um, Isaac dropped it in there for you already. Well, oh, thank you. In there again, and we'll stick it. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's um, it, it's really just watch that and watch it again and watch it again. Yeah. That is it. Every top seller I interview, I see, I meet with, it's the same thing. They're really focused on their clients and helping their clients achieve their goals. They're not, it's, they're humble. It's the opposite of what you would think when you think about like a top performing salesperson. It's the opposite. Right. Right. Jordan Belfort and Wolf of Wall Street and some of the folks that you see online gloating. It's, it's humility is what works. You said sales therapist and you meant it, right? This is not just a work lesson. This is a life lesson. Oh, for I sure. Wanna, I want to hear all by making it all about yourself. Like right. that's the source of our pain. Right. The source of our pain is thinking about us and being in our heads and oh my God, what like if we just can be have gratitude practices and meditations and things that enable us to get out of our own heads, man, you can be empty. And when you're empty, you can serve others. But when you're carrying all this shit, it's really hard to do that. So yeah, therapy works and really doing some deep work on yourself. That's the key. Again, personal development changes a lot of professional development. So that's that's why I quit my job. That's why I coach people. I know that work, need, we need more of it, especially now because it's hard out there. So yeah, yeah. definitely. I'm going to stick this up here. This was just my take recap on what we were talking about here today. But Ian, you're doing a lot of work coaching people. Um, do you mind dropping, or I don't know, we have the link to your site. Tell us just real quick. We got one minute left. Give us a, what you're doing right now. Yeah, I have a coaching program. So oh, if there it resonates, um, it's called Untap Your Sales Potential. And basically what I do, I don't know if it's, Isaac can put the link in. Um, <laughs> no, I type and talk at the same time. Um, we we have a mastermind so it's over a hundred sales reps we meet every week we have pods and groups we have live events so it's a community for salespeople to learn to sell the right way i coach every week in a group setting and for gold clients i do one-on-one -on -one coaching where we actually work on your business or your personal issues to figure out how we can help you with habits and mindset get the right you know get the right frame of mind to perform your best so it's it's super fulfilling Isaac's in the program. There's other people on this call in the program. And oh, wow. I, just, I just love it because I, I watch the transformations that happen. So yeah. that's what I'm doing now. And, and we have some spots open. So if you're interesting, interested, we're doing free coaching calls. So if you go to Untap Your Sales Potential, you can hop on a free coaching call, share specifically where you're struggling, what you're trying to achieve. And if it's a fit, we'll let you know. If it's not, or you will not hear any pressure or any anything like that. We are. It is a free coaching call. Well, we'll tell you what you can do. You get some nuggets and you know, if you want to work with us more, we can go from there. Okay. That's awesome. Well, um, I know we didn't get to Q&A, but I speak for myself, Ian, probably as well. If you did not get a question answered, hit us up on LinkedIn. Um, Ian, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your take and your wisdom. Um, connect with Sell Better, follow us. We'll also send over all of the um, links that we posted and the recording from today, if you were here for your email. That flew by, Leslie. It went where, so fast. On minutes, where I would have loved to do Q&A, but yeah. So fast. <laughs> we'll we'll hit up, we'll get another one scheduled and uh, invite everyone back. Sounds <laughs> good. Loved it. All right, everyone, take care. Have a good Friday. Have a good one.